This is the time of year that we reflect on the past year and consider how we want to attack the new year differently. And, and you know, just about everyone in our culture does it. But as, as followers of Jesus, I think that uh, that is an additional element to it that most of us deal with. I, I think most of us as Christians, you know, a lot of us are here. We're saying, OK, heading into the new year and we make resolutions. We say, OK, I want to get in shape, which, may, you know, the gyms are going to be really crowded for about a month. Uh, as you start the new year, then everybody starts falling. We have all these revolu- resolutions, but as Christians, we also we don't only examine our life and those kind of things, but we tend to examine our heart and we consider what needs to change in our spiritual lives. And I think that process of spiritual exa- self-examination can really bo- be boiled down to one question, and, and this is really the title of the message this morning. The question is this. What does God want from me? What does God want from me? In essence, that's the question that I believe many of us are asking right now. We're saying, God, what do you want from me? What what do you want from my life? What's the end goal of all of this? How do I handle this? I want to please you, God. So how do I do that? And and so often, you know, when you strip out all the words, I've just got this one prayer What do you want from me? How do I please you? Now, historically, mankind has has viewed God as hostile towards humanity and believed that we have to try to appease him. Uh, Not just, I'm not talking about Christianity, I'm just talking about mankind. And and most religion is built around the belief that God is off somewhere and and he's hostile toward humanity and that we've got to do some things to, to please him and to appease him. And sometimes, you know, I think we even find ourselves falling into that same trap where we're trying to appease God rather than actually live life with Him. And so I thought maybe we could attack that question this morning. What does God want from us? And I think about what we teach as a church, not just verbally, but also what what we teach by how we even do church. And I thought about some of these things and I thought of this just kind of examining it and trying to set my perspective outside of what I've learned and what I know. But just as somebody walking into the church, I asked myself, what do we as a church, by the way we do church, what do we communicate that we think God wants from us? Does that make sense? There's a lot. It was kind of a complex sentence. Paul's my hero. And so, you know, he has these wrong run on sentences. So the first thing that that popped in my head is, is singing. No, no, matter, no matter where you go, no matter what evangelical circles you travel in, you're going to sing when you go to church. You know, you're going to sing anywhere from 15 minutes to two and a half hours, depending on the, the style of the place that you're in. You're going to sing. And so I got to wondering, does, does God want singing from us? Is that what he's after? Is that what he wants from us? Does the act of singing, this act of you and me coming together and grabbing our guitars or our pianos or our organ or, you know, I don't care what church, our two turntables and a microphone, I don't know what it might be, you know, that you're, you're grabbing... What, what do we teach by what we do here? I mean, is this what God wants? These, this time where we, where we sang and we gathered around and we sang, is that, does God want to be sung to? And when you think about it, singing it is, is not just a Christian deal, but people sing to their, to their gods all over the world. Like in India, I don't know if you know this, but in India there's a monkey temple 
And in that monkey temple, there's a golden monkey. And they, they worship it and they sing to it. And they read to it. I don't know what, they're, what they read. Maybe Curious George. I'm not, sure, I'm not sure what they read to the monkey. I mean, I'm just thinking, listen, if you're going to pick a god, a monkey? You're going to pick a monkey? Have you ever been to the zoo? Do you know what they throw at you at the zoo? Anyway, I'm getting sidetracked. But anyway, they read to it and they sing to the monkey. And then the Muslims, they sing to Allah. People all over the world are singing to their quote-unquote gods. And that makes me think, okay, somewhere along the line, it wasn't just us in Christianity, uh, but mankind began to believe that God wants to be sung to or sung about. Now, I love the Old Testament. There's so much depth and there's so many layers and beauty there. And in Amos, the prophet, not the famous cookie guy, but Amos, the prophet, he's going to say this. God's speaking here and he says this in Amos 5.23. Take away from me the noise of your what? What's it say? Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. The harp was, you know, the harp was just the chosen instrument of, of the day back then. Like 20 years ago, it was the instruments were piano and organ. Now it seems to be, you know, acoustic guitar and keyboard, that sort of thing. And that's going to change. Eventually, it always changes. You know, I don't know, it might be someday down the road, it might be banjo and harmonica. I don't know, but it's going to change. Uh, I know that. But you've got God saying here, I don't really care about the melody you play with your harps. In fact, he says, keep them. I don't want to hear them. So although we do a lot of singing, it seems like the act of singing itself is not what God is after. Because they were singing and he didn't want it. So then I thought, okay, if it's not music, if it's not singing, maybe it's prayer. Maybe it's prayer that God wants because we're always telling everybody pray more. In fact, we're even doing that tonight and we're entering a season of fasting and prayer. If it's not the act of singing that he's after, maybe he wants the act of prayer. Maybe to please him, he wants us to get together more often and to pray. But then Isaiah, he's going to speak up and he's going to say through, God's going to say through Isaiah in Isaiah 1.15, When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will what? Not listen. Your hands are full of blood. So I read this and I start thinking, goodness sakes, you know, I've just got to fire the whole worship team. You know, we... Uh, I, I mean, it, 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 he's, he's, if he's not after singing, that it, and now it's not even the act of prayer that he wants because they were praying, but they wasn't, didn't want those prayers, then what in the world are we supposed to be doing here? Because a huge portion of what we do as a church is sing and pray. So then I thought, well, it must be sacrifice. If he doesn't desire the act of singing, if he doesn't long for the act of prayer, then maybe the act of sacrifice is what he wants. Maybe how we please him is to make up all these rules that that conform us into a certain way of living. And although there's very little joy in it, we're going to do it this way because we've got to appease God and we sacrifice ourselves to that. Because if we don't appease God, well, he's God and he could kill us. And so we've got to figure this out. But then in 1 Samuel 15, 22, God asks a question. By the way, when you're reading Scripture, anytime God asks a question, you have to pay attention. Why is that? Because God doesn't need to know stuff. 
He's, he, he never asks a question that he doesn't already have the answer for. He already knows the answer. He's not asking questions so that he can gain information from us. He's making a point. Because, you know, God doesn't misplace stuff and he doesn't have to ask for your help, all right? I mean, you know, you don't ever hear God saying, I misplaced Mars. Do you, do you anybody see where that is? He doesn't ask questions because he needs the answer. He's asking questions because he wants us to see something and to look inside. So anytime you see God asking a question, you need to really pay attention to that. But here's what he said. Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Does the Lord desire burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as he desires obedience to the Lord? So it seems that he's saying here, no, uh, it's not really what I'm after. It seems he wants more than just the act of sacrifice. He wants more than just the act of singing. He wants more than just the act of praying. So what does he want from us? Well, let's go to Deuteronomy, the Old Testament. Now, the Old Testament is the foundational piece of all that we believe about God and about Jesus. And I know some people say, I don't quite get that. I thought the Old Testament was all done. But Jesus said he actually came to fulfill the law or to show you what it liked, looked like to live it out. So, so I want to show you something. You may not know this, but did you know that Deuteronomy is the book that Jesus quoted most often when he taught? When Jesus was teaching, it was usually out of the book of Deuteronomy. He quoted no other Old Testament book more. And so we're going to find our answers to what God is looking for. And in so doing, we're going to answer the questions about why we sing, about why we pray, and why we sacrifice. We do all those things. We do all of those things. But the question is this. Why do we do them? Are they, are they empty rituals? Or has our soul been moved to them? And that's going to be the big difference. Deuteronomy 10, 12. Many of you have heard this very famous passage of Scripture. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? What does God want? That's what he's saying. But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Now, I want to take this phrase by phrase because he answers the question that we're wrestling with today. What does God really want from us? And the first thing he says, he says, I want you to fear me. And, and let, me, let me use another word. Now, there, there's different words in the Bible used. Uh, sometimes he says, uses the word fear as in terror. And, and really, honestly, when we sin, we should have that kind of a fear. You know, but, but the word that's used often and I think you'll understand is he wants us to rest in awe of him. He wants us to embrace the mystery and the size and the wonder and the beauty and the mightiness that is him. He wants us to sit in awe. You know, one of the things that, we've, that I've taught over and over, and you're going to hear me teaching as the, as the years go on, is that if you're ever going to get into the deep end of the spiritual pool, because what we have is we have a lot of, we have a lot of people in the church in America that, that, is, that are, are, are in just very shallow Christianity, shallow spirituality, and it's like grown people wading in the kiddie pool. And if we're ever going to get to the deep end of the pool in our lives, then you're going to have to slow down and you're going to have to pay attention in life. 
Because gathering cognitive information about the grace of God and the greatness of God, knowing that information, but not meditating on it, not drinking it in deeply so that it moves you, is a lot like collecting pictures of the Grand Canyon. This, I, how many of you have been to the Grand Canyon? You, you'll back me up on this. I don't care how great your camera is. You may be the finest photography in the history of mankind, the finest photographer, and you have the best photographic equipment. You have all of that stuff, but there is no picture that can capture the awesomeness of the Grand Canyon. You, you can collect pictures all you want. You, you might be able to describe it, but you'll never be able to feel that kind of nauseous feeling that occurs when you're standing there and kind of look over the edge. And when you finally slow down and drink deeply about the, tr uh, uh, the, uh, the, the truth about God, that's what we have to do if we want to move forward. For example, I, I used to, I have in my past and probably still at times tend to struggle with the fact that God loves me right now. You know, it's easy for me. Maybe somebody else is here with me on this one. It's easy for me to believe that he really loves some future version of me. Anybody else here? You know, when I finally get this figured out, when I finally, you know, stop doing this and I, I stop thinking this sort of thing over here is funny, when I, when I get to that place where I ought to be, that's when he'll really be. I, I, I mean, I know he loves me, but, but he'll really love me someday when I get to where I need to be. When I finally master these things, when I finally get this done, I finally clean that up. In that moment, Jesus will really love me. But you know what? When I slow down and I begin to dwell on Scripture, begin to drink it in. And it says in places like Galatians 2, verses 20 through chapter 3, verse 5, where Paul basically says to the Galatians, who has bewitched you? He says, let me ask you a question. When did the Holy Spirit enter into your soul? When, did, when, you, when you did something or when you, you believed? When did Jesus die for you? When, he loved, when did He love you? When, did, when you did something for Him or was it before? And when I start chewing on that, when I begin to see the shadows of that in life, like, see, God gives us shadows. He paints pictures on creation for us to help us see Him. That's what Romans 1 says, that He's, he's painted on, the, on all of creation, and, and He does it in all kinds of places. And one of those shadows that I, I see in my life is, is my love for my daughters. See, there, there, there is a love there that I have specifically for those two that transcends their behavior. You know what I'm talking about? My love for them. And this is why, you know, you see you serial killers that get caught and you see the mothers in the, in the courtroom and they're weeping over their child because their love is not based on their behavior. Right? But, but my love for them transcends their behavior, but I also, I've got this hope of all that they can become. See, that's a shadow. That's a picture of the love of Christ. And when I see what it does to my soul, when my daughters, you know, they're still, you know, they're getting up there and they're getting bigger, but 
when they uh, when I'm sitting on a sofa or sitting in a chair and they still want to come up and and you know watch a show and cuddle in with daddy that still does something to my soul in that moment and when they want to be with me and they, you know and, and just hang out with dad and be with me and and just be in my presence and I begin to ponder that that's how Christ feels about me there comes this overwhelming flood of gratitude and awe that despite who I am and despite all the things that I think are funny that probably I shouldn't think are funny God loves me Jesus loves me now today and that the same hope I have for the future of my daughters he has for me when you start chewing on that it becomes overwhelming so now let's go back to singing See, song in its purest form before it became about money and fame is about expressing what you could no longer express with mere words. Song in its purest form is always about the great dramas of life. It's about love. It's about heartache. It's about pain. It's about frustration. It's about joy. And you, you take away the moving of the soul to the song and you get a boy band. All right? That's just the reality. It just goes horribly wrong when you take away the moving of the soul from the music. It's like Lenny Kravitz wrote an article. He, he said that the music today in America had really become this sad deal. He was talking about, he said, because he said very few artists play an instrument and very few artists write their own music anymore, but they're pretty. They look good. And so they take pretty people and they put tight clothes on them and they give them somebody else's music and then they hook them up to an auto-tune, and then they give them the same beat over and over again, and then they have them sing a song to it, and then they market them. And he was just lamenting the state of music and what happens when you remove the movement of the soul from it. I mean, listen, have you ever, have you ever been in, at that place? Maybe you haven't, but I pray you have. Have you ever been in that place in your relationship with God where words just aren't going to do it? Have you been in that place where language becomes this limiting thing? I mean, there have been times that I have been so overwhelmed by the goodness and the grace of God that I just rolled down my windows and had music blaring as loud as I could and I just wanted to hug somebody and I just wanted to scream at the top of my lungs because I didn't even know what to say. You ever been there? You see, it's, it's not the song that he's after. It's the movement of the soul. The song is what's created when the soul sits in awe of all that he is. The song occur occurs because grace is real, because mercy's been extended, because hope has been given, because lives have been changed. He's not after the song, he's after the movement of the soul. And you'll never sit in awe if you don't drink deeply from the goodness of God and learn to see the shadows that he's put on earth instead of just memorizing stuff. See, that's what we've made discipleship about all just memorizing stuff. Now, it's good to memorize things, but it's a lot more than that. See, Christ isn't nearly as interested in you being able to explain grace as much as he's hoping that you get to experience it and walk in it. You know, I met guys in my lifetime that were, they were just brilliant theologians, brilliant thinkers, but they were, were some of the most bitter people I've known. They had the keys to freedom, but they've never unlocked the door. What does he want from us? Awe. 
And, and, and awe never occurs if you don't slow down and drink deeply. Awe never occurs if you don't slow down and meditate. And awe never occurs if you let the pace of our culture make you so busy that you miss the simple beauties of life. And I don't know about you, but I, I've got the, I have got the disease of rush. Anybody here, you know what I'm talking about? I don't even have to, I can be trying to get somewhere, and I don't even have a time limit where I, that I need to get there, but I'm still going to be the first one in line. I'm still going to get there as fast as I can, and anything that interrupts my journey, you know, it's a problem to me. You know, I've talked with Chuck before, you know, that you go on vacation, and you're working so hard to get in front of all the cars and passing them. And then all of a sudden, this voice from the back seat says, Daddy, i got to go potty. And you have to stop, and you sit there, and you watch all those cars that you just passed. And now I'm at the end of the line again. Well, maybe there's, a, maybe there's something in that that I can, if I open my eyes, I can see and I can learn something. I'm not... I'm going to not talk a lot about the next one because we just, we've been doing a series, which I still have one more message in that series I want to preach, but I have no idea when I'm going to get to it. But we've been talking about being a disciple. What does it mean to be a disciple and living the way of Jesus? But the second one that he talked about there is he says he wants us to walk in our ways and now in his ways. And now Israel, what does the Lord require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways. You know, Christ's Christ call to follow him is an invitation to live as he lived and to walk as he walked. You and I have been called not just to know about the life of Jesus, but rather to, to know him personally and to live like Jesus lived. Now, I'm not talking about putting on a turban and sandals and walking everywhere you go. That's not what I'm talking about. He was, he was living in the culture that he lived in, and you're living in the culture that you live in, but you've got to learn the principles of how he lived and say, I'm going to live like Jesus. I'm going to love people. I'm going to touch the untouchable. I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to do what he did. And the, but here's the thing about that, because this leads us back to prayer. Because the more you try to live, live the way of Jesus, the more prayer will become a fundamental part of your life Number one, because Jesus was a person of prayer. He prayed a lot. And the second thing is, it becomes a fundamental part of our life because living the way of Jesus is hard. I can't tell you how often, you know, I look at myself. You ever had that moment where you look at yourself and maybe you just did something, you're so disappointed and you look at yourself and you are all that you hate? I can't tell you how often I wake up and the missional call of Christ on my life has been replaced with hanging out with a bunch of Christians and having a few and having very few relationships with those outside of Christ. And I'm just telling you, when you're in the ministry, that's something that you have to fight for. Because everybody that I know is already a Christian. I can't tell you how often I find myself. Anybody here, you 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 just find yourself going through life and all of a sudden you realize that you're frustrated and you're irritable and you're angry and you don't even know why? Okay, me and, me and Willie. You know, I mean, those times Julie's like, what are you doing? What's wrong with you? Listen, it happens easily. While you're trying to live the way of Jesus, you know, you're, you're trying to live the way of Jesus and you wake up one day and you're, you're wearing the cloak of a Pharisee. I promise you, when that realization comes to you, you'll pray better. 
Because it'll force you to press into Him. But you know what? I think one of the reasons prayer is so difficult for so many of us is because this missional call of Jesus. You know what I, what I mean when I say that phrase? He calls us to a mission. That's what I'm talking about. He, the mission is, He said, go and make disciples of all, of all people. And he tells us to go and tell the world about him. We have a mission that we have been given, not just as a church, but us as individuals. And, the, and what's happened is we, it, prayer gets difficult for us because this missional call of Jesus uh, it, it, on our life has been avoided, number one, and then it has been replaced with the pursuit of moral purity. So instead of making our life about about reaching people for the lost, what we do is that we, we make our life all about conforming to all of the moral laws that we have set up. And now listen, I understand, and I will preach holiness to the day I die, but I think what's happened to us is that so many of us are so worried about trying to keep our rules and trying to force other people to keep our rules that we left the missional call of Christ to be salt and light in the world. And that is a difficult place to be, and it requires connecting to and crying out to God. And when God says, when he says, I don't want your prayer, he's attacking empty ritual. And it's really easy for us to get into that place. Like, you know, tomorrow is New Year's Eve. I can't believe it. And I hope that you're partying on New Year's Eve. We should party better than anybody else in the world. I mean, who has more to party about than we do, right? Now, I'm not telling you to end up in the back of an El Camino wondering how you got there. That's not what I'm saying. You know, yeah, I don't want you waking up going, ah, what, a new tattoo, what, and, you know? I don't want you doing that. That's not what I'm talking about. It's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that we, we should be better at celebrating life. So I hope you get together with friends and and not just on days like New Year's Eve. I hope you get together with friends and you celebrate life and you celebrate grace, you celebrate love, and I hope you do it often. But I'm wondering, you know, because when we do that sort of thing, and, and, and even today when you go to sit down at a meal someplace, probably with some people from the church, you know, I'm wondering when we bless the food, if our minds and our hearts will really be in that place where we're grateful because the majority of the world is not going to eat today like we are going to eat today. You know, how many times do we how many times do we pray over the meal and it's an empty ritual where it's like, oh, somebody's right ready to eat. Oh, do we pray? No, go ahead, hurry, 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 eat. <laughs> I can't help but think that maybe God is more interested in a grateful heart than the ritual of prayer before we eat. You know, I really believe that if I receive it and there's actual gratitude in my heart, then it doesn't matter if I pray before I eat. I'm getting to almost heresy now, huh? Because it's not about praying. It's about the movement of the soul. That in that moment, we look at around us and we realize that, that, that we have been blessed beyond measure and, and, and that we look at that and, we, and, 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 and when we begin to ponder those things, we... We get overwhelmed at how good he's been to us. And, and I begin to think about how my, my daughters are well-dressed and they're healthy. And, and I'm wondering how grateful we really will are, you know, that we really do have great friends around us. I wonder how honestly we'll be in awe at how God came up with those flavors. 
because fajitas, that was God's idea. He created that. And when, we, when you taste something, especially for the first time, and you're like, oh, how did I ever live without this? In that moment, we should be thinking, God was the one who created all of these flavors and gave it to us to enjoy. Once again, it's not the act He wants. He wants the soul moved. He doesn't despise prayer. He wants real prayer. A real crying out. I mean, have you ever been in a conversation where someone who doesn't know Jesus asks you the question that you've got no answer for? You ever been there? Well, in that moment, you have two options. You can, you can pray and say, I don't know. Or you can do the thing that most of us do is make up some horrible, trite little answer for them. You know, well, you see, it's like this bracelet, F-R-O-G, fully relying on God. That's all it is, brother. <laughs> and we give them some trite answer instead of saying, you know what? It's a mystery. I don't know. And I don't know that, how, that I can convince you that God's real, but I sure would like to talk with you about what he's like. The, the next one is that he wants us to love him. Now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to love him? Now, this is a tough one. Because we've all heard love is a verb. And I agree with that, but at the same time, I hear that and I think, it is, but there's other parts of it that it's not. You know, I think you can decide to be loving, but I don't know that you can decide to love. I think you can decide to act in a loving manner, and I don't think any, but I don't think anybody can make their heart love in a moment. Now, I want to say this, on things like love and things like forgiveness, I'll tell you this, feelings follow your actions. And so if you're trying to forgive someone, even if you don't feel it, you act like you're forgiving them and the feelings follow. You don't, you don't uh, live by your feelings. And same thing with love. You begin to act in a loving way and, the, and the, 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 that feeling begins to follow that. But, but, but I don't think that somebody can just say, okay, I choose to love you. Oh, you know, I, I can't look at you if, you if you're a guest here this morning I, I, and you don't know me. I can't say, love me right now, all your soul, go. You know, and you look at me and say, okay, I got it. See, the, this love piece is a difficult one. But God still says, I want you to love me. And I, I think he lists these things in this order on purpose. I believe that that every word in Scripture is there for a reason. Every phrase speaks to us. And, and I think they're in this order for a reason. I think what happens is as we begin to meditate on the beauty and the majesty of God, as we slow down and drink it all in and we begin to think about His goodness and His mercy and His grace, and then we begin to walk in all that life in Him brings, then what happens is that love for Him begins to grow. Now we're praying again, except... Now, when that love begins to grow, now we're not praying, God, help me. We just want to be near Him. You know, I think I was in love with Julie when we got married. I think I was in love. But you know what? When you get married, you're like, oh, we're so in love. We're so in love. And then, you know, like within six months, of being married, you're like, I don't even know this woman. You know, and she's saying, what have I done? 
But I say that to say this. I said I think I was in love with Julie because we're almost 29 years into this thing now. And the thing that at one time we thought was such deep love now looks like two inches of water. Are you tracking with me? All the married folk here? You know? And I know you, you know, unmarried couples are like, not us, baby. I love you deep now. You know? <laughs> you know? I know you're kind of squeezing the hand and going, that ain't me, baby. Hundred feet of love right now for you. But the truth is you can't know. You can't know until you get in it. In these 28 plus years, there's been some difficulty. You know, we wrestled through some stuff. She tried to figure me out. She's still trying to figure me out. I'm still trying to figure her out. But you know what? After the years, we, we, we get, to, you get to the place where you start to see the soul. That's why you see, you know, a couple that's been married 60, 70 years. And, 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 and let's just be honest. The, the good looks went out the back door a long time ago, right? But that man looks at his wife and he sees the most beautiful person in the world. Why is that? Because he's not looking at, at the gray hair. He's not looking at the wrinkles. He long time ago, after all those years, began to see her soul, began to see who she is. And that's what, what matters to him. And after 28 plus years, I, I, I see that. Now, I know some of you here have been married 40, 50, 60 years. And, and you're like, rookie. <laughs> Just move on. You don't know what you're talking about. But, but I can tell you that 28 years in, we're, we're, we're seeing each other's soul a bit. And what we thought was such deep love when we got married was shallow compared to what we have after walking through life together for 28 plus years. And it's the same way with God. God birthed these infections in us when we started following Jesus. But after you walk with him for a while, when you begin to slow down and, and do life the way that he wants us to do it and begin to see him in everything and begin to, to, to glorify him in all these things, and, and when you begin to walk with him for a while and you, and you see him work and, and you begin to, after a while you begin to recognize how faithful he really is and you begin to taste and you begin to smell the goodness of his table and now you're not praying because you're afraid. And now you're not just praying because you don't know the answer. And now you're not praying just because you need Him to do something for you. But now you're praying because you want to talk to Him. Because you want to be near Him. And then we've got one more. Now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. He wants us to serve Him wholeheartedly. See, there needs to be one overarching goal to our lives, one banner, one goal. You can set whatever goals you want for your life, but the middle of all of it, the over, there needs to be an overarching purpose to everything that we do, to every goal that we have in life. In all of the goals I set in my life, there's one banner over all of it, and that is to know Him and to love Him with my entire being. That's all that we're, that's our main goal and purpose in life. And all the other goals that we set to, to you know, pay off our mortgage or all the whatever the goal you might be be setting in your life over everything is I want to know him and I want to love him 
You see, here's what we forget. We don't serve him because he needs us. The truth is, he doesn't need us. He's perfectly content, perfectly whole. He is a perfect God in need of nothing. The truth is, I'm the lead pastor of this church, but you're not my people. You're not mine. You're God's. My own kids are not really mine. They're his. They're just on loan. I serve him not because he needs needs me to serve him. Like his hands are tied and Restoration Life Church would disintegrate and Christianity in the Marian area will plunge into darkness if, if we don't do this. That's comical. No, of course not. We serve him because it's in serving him that we find our souls so moved. I've learned that if you try to regiment serving the Lord with your whole soul and make it a blanket statement for everybody, then people start to get really trapped in rituals. Like I know people, Lee's one of these people. He loves to get out in the wild. I don't know, you got a camper, so I don't know if you pitch tents or not, but but uh, you know there there that, that there are people out there that love to get out in the in the wilderness. They love to get out in the country in the wild and and you know pitch a tent and start a fire and just sit there and they'll sing and they'll fast and they'll pray and they really connect with God out in the woods but I'm just I'm just telling you I grew up in a city I'm scared of the woods all right <laughs> just just being honest here so if a person who loves going out in the woods stands up here and he says, this is what you do, this is how you, how you, you, you serve the Lord with your whole heart and your whole soul, you head in the woods three times a year. Well, you know what, I'd end up going out in the woods and I'd probably be miserable. And I'd come back probably angry and bitter. And, and, and you know what, the same thing, I've known people that they serve the Lord and they're, they're, they're musical. Doesn't it just make you sick, those people that can just pick up an instrument and, and automatically know how to play everything on it? You just, you, I just, sometimes you just want to punch them in the nose and say, I love you in the name of Jesus. Boom! You know? <laughs> you have to forgive me now. <laughs> but you know what? Somebody who, who's drawn into the presence and moved, their soul is moved through the music, they can't go to somebody else that's not musical and say, this is how you got to do it. Because when we do that, we start turning it into a ritual. And now I'm doing something because somebody said I was supposed to do it. And I'm not doing it because it moves my soul. It moves me closer to Him. And it creates this longing in me to know Him more. There's great joy and great energy when we're doing what God called us to do. And you know what? I I want to serve Him with my whole soul. But for me, that's in, first of all, that's in secret ways that nobody else gets to see. That's up here. That's with my family. That's where he's called me to be. See, he's not after sacrifice just for the act of sacrificing. Can I tell you something? You joining another Bible study this year because the last three didn't work is not the sacrifice he's after. Is it a good thing to join a Bible study? You bet it is. But he's after a soul that's moved to service. God, where do you want me to go? God, what do you want me to do? God, what do you want? So, so here we are. A few days away from 2019. It's hard to believe. You're a year older. And there's nothing you can do about that. 
exercise, surgery, whatever, doesn't matter. You're still a year older. You're a year older and you have played last year's cards. You, can pick, you can't pick them back up. And if your year was anything like mine, you can look back and you'll see some accomplishments. You'll see some regrets. You'll see some joys. You'll see some sorrows. I look back and see all these places where I could have done so much better. I could have been a better father, a better husband, a better pastor, a better leader. So, so here I am. Another year of my life is gone. I'm, I'm closer to death now than I was a year ago. Now, we don't like to, to dwell on that, but Jonathan Edwards used to think on his own death often because he found that thinking on it drove him to, the, to live stronger and better for Jesus. And so the reality is I'm a, a year closer to the day when it's my casket and my carnations and my body going into the ground and everybody else gathering around for potato salad afterwards. But by the mercies of Christ... The mercies of Christ are new every morning. So dreaming of 2019, I pray for us as a church. I pray that God would give us new eyes and new ears. That's my prayer going into 2019. That's what I want for us. I want us to have new eyes because in a a few minutes, you're going to walk out of here into a creation that Scripture tells us is a canvas for God Uh, upon which God reflects his beauty. And I want you to see that. When you're up early enough and you're, you know, you want to be in bed, but you happen to be up early enough and you see the sunrise, instead of complaining about being up early, I want you to see the beauty uh, that God has painted on that sky for you. And say, that's just a, that's just a tiny reflection of, of his glory. I want us to have new eyes. I want us to see that. There are all these beautiful things for you to see out there, and I want you to be able to see them. I I don't want you to miss the fact that Jesus is trying to teach you something through the pictures that he's painted on creation today. I mean, what's he trying to say to you through the cool air? What's What's he trying to say through the fact that the air outside will be cold and the air inside your car will be warmer? What's he trying to say to you wherever you go, in every circumstance? He's speaking if we'll learn to listen, you know? When I lived in Reno, Nevada, I helped some friends one time move into a house and they had finished one room, but they were moving into a house that they were, they were remodeling the house. And when I see remodeling, what they had done is they had completely gutted it, man. I mean, there was nothing. There was plywood floors. It was down to the flooring. Uh, it was studs on the walls and joists in the ceiling. No drywall, nothing. It was, you could walk from one room into another, walk if you were skinny enough, between the studs, 16 inches, you know, so it's kind of narrow for some of us. And, and I remember walking to that place and looking at it, and when you walk into some place like that, you know, I, I, can, I can go, oh, this place is a wreck. Or I can ponder what Jesus might be teaching me through what is old and ugly being ripped out and being replaced by what is new and beautiful. See, his lessons are all over the place. I could just see the house, but I think there's more there than that. These are the eyes I want you to see with. I want you to see with new eyes. I want you to see him everywhere. And I pray that he would give us new ears, a new way of hearing things. Pray that we'd be aware of, of, uh, of the God uh, who is. That we'd learn to hear his voice. 
that you would, you would find your soul moved and that that movement of your soul would give birth to songs and give birth to new ministries in the year 2019 and, and give birth to new acts of service and new sacrifice and that, all, that we would do these things all because of the awe that, we ha- that has moved into our souls, the awe of who He is. So this is my prayer for you, for me. This is my hope for us. There's an old, old song that I love. And there's part of it that says, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Boy, isn't that the truth. Our hearts left to themselves tend to just wander, tend to drift away. And and that's just the truth. Sometimes you wake up first thing in the morning and there are these voices pulling you away, calling you, wooing you, always something that needs to be done. But the song goes on to say, here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. My prayer is, that you'd be aware of all that is beautiful and deep in Him and that you'd be ready to attack 2019 in the way of Jesus. That we would stand in awe of Him. Not just for what He can do, but just who He is. What does God want? He wants you. All of you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you.